Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse number 1. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Except there come a falling away. That's where we get, we get the word apostasy. Coming a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now you know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and behold and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the promise of your return. We thank you for the promise of the present state of grace that we enjoy even today. We thank you for the comfort. We're, th we're so thankful, Lord. And Lord, we just ask that you just be with us today, Lord. We lift up all those requests and praises that we heard earlier today, Lord. Lay your hand upon each one, Lord. You know every detail, Lord, more than we can even fathom. Even the depths of our hearts and the depths of our minds, the inner, the inner workings of everything that we have in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, Lord. Everything, Lord. We just pray that uh, you are high and lifted up in our hearts and minds so that we can see you move. In our, in, our, in our midst. Lord, we invite you here this morning, Lord, and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this, again, this, this, uh, this epistle, this letter to the uh, Thessalonians is, of course, part two to a first letter, uh, First Thessalonians. And if you, if you want just a, after this sermon, you want a, a bigger picture, read both of those epistle, epistles together, these letters, First and Second Thessalonians. It may take you 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It's not real long, but it's rich in what's coming and what is still on the agenda that we haven't yet faced. Uh, in this chapter here, he's talking about none other than the Antichrist. There are many Antichrists in the world today, of course, as, as John talks about in 1 John. But he is talking about the Antichrist, the son of perdition here, that he will go into the Holy of Holies into the temple that will be rebuilt, and he will offer himself as God on that temple. And all that is, Paul is telling them to the Thessalonian Christians, this is going to happen, but not yet. 
It's not happening yet. It's imminent. The Lord's return is imminent. And God will protect you. God will save you. And no matter what we go through in this life to the Thessalonian Christians and to us, by the way, there are some things that we need to do. We, number one, we need to we need to be we need to give thanks. Look at that. Look at verse 13 again. He says, but we are bound to give thanks always bound to give thanks. Bound to give thanks. So, you know, we've been reading through, if you've been following along on our 90 days through the New Testament, we've been reading through, and you probably are around this, this part of the, of the scriptures here. And as I was thinking, as an American, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and we have, of course, Christmas coming up. This seemed like a, a perfect sermon for the, for the midway point, if you will, because it's talking about being thankful. I mean, Paul begins this letter. Look at verse number three. He says again, in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we are bound to thank God. And then in verse 13, we are also, of chapter 2, bound to thank God. So twice he says that he and those with him, so, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they are bound to give thanks unto God. In verse 3, he's bound because they were growing in the faith. They were growing in their love one to another. And back in chapter 2, his thankfulness goes back to where it all began with their salvation. Look at verse 13 again. Chapter 2, verse 13. But we, that we is again, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Brethren, why? Beloved of the Lord, uh, brethren, beloved of the Lord, why? Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So we are this morning, this, this, a real simple title, bound to give thanks. We as Christians are bound to give thanks. And the first reason that we have from Paul right here in 2 Thessalonians is because we're chosen by God. We are not called by God, but chosen by God. So just ignore that first point there. But we are chosen by God. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. You know, as Christians, as believers in this holy book, the holy writ is called sometimes, there's no argument. These Thessalonian Christians, very clearly here, were chosen by God to salvation. And you and I are chosen by God to salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 states that God has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now the key phrase here is in Him. And because of this Paul is saying, we are also bound to give thanks. Like the Thessalonian Christians are bound to give thanks, like Paul is bound to give thanks, you and I are bound to give thanks because He has chosen us. Now think about the seriousness of that. Think about the seriousness of a Creator God, an all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere God, choosing us. I don't think our minds can. I don't think our minds can contemplate the infinite greatness of the character of God. We may try, and we may study the Scriptures, and we should study the Scriptures, and we should we should even study to know God and to know Him as His person. But we, on this side of heaven, we cannot understand the greatness of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God. And we are not. The recognition of our own failures truly points to the infinite sea of significance between us and Him. He's God. He's God. And yet we are created in His image. Wow. Created 
in the image of a holy God. You know, David was not wrong when he wrote Psalm 8, verse 4. He says, what is man? Remember, he wrote as a fallen man. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visits him? In other words, even in our fallen state, you and I today, God is mindful of man. That's that's mind boggling. My creator. I mean, just personally, my creator, who is more holy than I can ever imagine, is mindful of me. He knows me by my name. He knows me. He knows everything about me and he and he still loves me. He, he knows more about me than my wife does. And praise God, she still loves me. But God knows more and still chooses to love me. My creator. But he's not only mindful of me, he's, he's mindful of you. He loves you. And even in this crazy world in which we live, where everything seems to be uncertain, everything, things that we thought would never move are all going sideways, left and right, God is still mindful of us. At a personal level. And he is mindful. Excuse me. He is mindful of our sinful state. He is mindful of our sentence of death. So much that in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Bible points out that he is not willing that any should perish. He's mindful of where we are. He's mindful of our of our depraved state. So much that he's not willing that any should perish, perish but that all should come to repentance. Now, it's not my purpose this morning to delve into the predestination debate, as you might be thinking about here, but my goal is to preach the cross this morning. I'm here to preach the truth of John 3.16, and that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever will may come. Whosoever will believe can be saved. I'm here this morning to say that I believe that God has chosen me to salvation. I believe He's chosen you to salvation. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches that He has chosen all. His desire for us to be saved is quite frankly the greatest invitation ever to have been, ever to have occurred, ever to can cross the mind of man. It's the greatest invitation of ever, of all things, of all time. And to reject the invitation, to reject what God has desired for our lives, to, to reject eternal salvation, is to follow the footsteps of Judas Iscariot, who was chosen by God, but rejected God. And because we are chosen this morning, if you are a Christian, you are bound to give thanks to God. Not like you were ordered, but it's in you. You can't help it, but to give thanks to God. But to reject Christ is to be unthankful. And not just in salvation, but in every walk, every day of our lives. To reject Christ is to be unthankful. To refuse to hear His humble call of salvation is arrogant, unthankful, and sneers. We sneer at God when we do so. Which really leads us to the next verse. Look at verse 14. I'm going to read 13 and 14 again together. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we chosen by God, but we are called by God, which it looks like I got those first one here the wrong way. But in your notes, it is chosen right out of the, the Bible here. And a matter of fact, while I'm saying that, if, if we're ever going through, you know, I got these, these are, these are my ideas, these notes here. But if you can't see these in the Bible, I've missed, 
I'm not, I'm not delivered what I think God's given me. You need to see these texts in the Bible because the Word is where it's at. So we are chosen by God and we are called by God. Whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. These two verses, of course, must be taken together in the greater witness of the New Testament and even in all of Scripture. But notice in verse 13, I'll point a few things out here. Notice in verse 13, there is all three persons of the Trinity in that one verse. We have God, the Lord, and the Spirit. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And all of these no surprise, are involved in our salvation. They are involved in our personal uh, call to Christ and our personal response uh, to the gospel. And they are all one, of course. First uh, John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, and the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So God the Father sent forth His Son. The Son bore our sins on the cross of Calvary. And the Holy Spirit today convicts, convinces, and, and comforts us. I think about, you know, I've, I've done a lot of study on that, the unforgivable sin. I'm, I'm sure you all saw blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's crossed your mind one time. But I think, think about it in this concept. Now, I'm not the end-all, be-all. We can't be dogmatic about this. But think about this for a moment. In the Old Testament, by the way, that verse was geared to the Old Testament, uh, the, the nation of Israel. But think about this. So the nation of Israel, God called them. God the Father called them. Right? And then God, they rejected God the Father. And then God sent His Son. They rejected His Son. And then God sent, now that Christ is resurre resurrected and ascended, God sends His Holy Spirit. Right? If you reject the Father, you still got the Son. If you reject the Son... The Holy Spirit can still do a work in your life, which would point you back to the, the Son and the Father, of course. But then you reject the Holy Spirit, there's nobody left. There's nobody left. You have to allow, you and I today, have to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, which leads us to the Son, which leads us back to the Father. No man coming to the Father, but by Jesus Christ. And it all begins with a stirring in our heart by the convicting and the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in our salvation, in the gospel. And the gospel is, of course, as we know from 1 Corinthians 15, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you and I, and this text here, the Thessalonians, and us today, have been called unto the gospel, to accept that gospel message. Paul told the Thessalonians here that God called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at some specifics here and how being chosen and being called involves both God and man. Again, we're not here to solve any, any grand issues, but I want to point out the, the last half, the second half of verse 13 again. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. In this sentence alone, we read that God the Father chose the Thessalonian Christians and that they were sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. And even more clear, we read that God chose them to salvation through two things. The sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of truth. Through sanctification and belief. Sanctification. Now the choosing and the sanctifying are at least in this first divine actions. 
Belief in God is a human action. This is what we do. Belief in God is a human action. And this human action of belief is followed in context here by the call of the gospel. Listen, I realize that humans, all of us, left to our natural state are totally depraved. We are without help. Without Christ, without any help from God, and without any light, we are unable to respond to the call of the gospel. But dear friends, we are not without light. We are not without a witness. John chapter 1 verse 9 says that, we, that He lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Romans 1.20 says we're without excuse. So that's a true statement. We are without excuse, but we are not without light. We are not without light. Every person, I believe, with strong conviction, according to the Word of God here, has a chance to accept Christ as their personal Savior. In John chapter 12, verse 32, the Lord Jesus, speaking of His crucifixion, said, If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. All men. He was crucified. And He has drawn all men. Friends, you and I have been called by God. And if you are not a believer this morning... Know that God is mindful of you. He is mindful. He is mindful of every detail in your life and He desires you personally. Personally. He knows you by name and He says, come. He wants you to be a part of His family. Softly and tenderly as we sing, Jesus is calling. But for those of us who have responded to the call, you have obtained something that's remarkable. Just mind-blowing. Quite amazing. Look at that verse again. You have been called to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know we just read through that sometimes, but think about the weight of that. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 states that we are partakers of His glory. We are partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he even says that we are partakers of His divine nature. Part of God. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but God was mindful enough to, of me, not just to redeem me, as if that weren't enough, but He made me a partaker of His divine nature. That's a wow moment, I guess you'd say. You know, in, in, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. And in His priestly prayer in John chapter 17 Let's just, don't lose your place there, but I want you to see this. Go back to John chapter 17. I'll turn there myself. I have it written in my notes here, but I'm going to turn there myself. John chapter 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is, you, you've probably heard of the Lord's Prayer, but in John chapter 17, this is the Lord's priestly prayer. It's Him praying for the apostles and praying for even us. If you ever want to look where God's praying for you, John 17. He's praying specifically for you and for me. Look at verse number 20. This is right on the eve of the Garden of Eden, or not the Garden of Gethsemane, rather. Uh, he says, neither pray I for these, he's speaking of the apostles, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. That they, us, all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, 
that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will always that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for, the, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Look at the end of verse 22. I, uh, that they may be one, even as we are one. Listen, because of our wretchedness, because of our fallen state, you and I die. It's a point when a man wants to die. We have an appointment with death. But if you have responded to the call of salvation, you only die once. And if, you look, if you read through the whole New Testament, there is no spiritual death for God's children today. We live forever. It, death is a doorway to eternity with Jesus Christ. And if you have responded to Him, to the call of the gospel, and you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, and you recognize that He was mindful of you, you are a partaker of His glory. There is a part of Him that's in us, and a part of us that's in Him. I mean, this is significant. And because He lives forever, so will we. A part. God's in us, and we are in Him. I don't know, maybe that's just too, excitement, too exciting for me. But God chooses to be a part of me. That's mind-boggling. And through the gospel, through our acceptance of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have obtained that glory. And because of that, we are to be thankful. We are bound to give thanks unto God. We are chosen by God. We are called by God. But then notice verse 15, back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It begins with the word, Therefore. You always hear that, you know, what's the therefore, therefore? Let's, look, let's read verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. So because you are chosen by God, because you are called by God, you are also charged by God. You are a Christian. And part of giving thanks to God is living in a way that honors God. And living in a way that where the Bible tells us to stand fast... Here in this text, you stand fast, and if I can put it in Tennessee lingo, hold what you got. What you know, stick with it and run with it. Stand fast and hold what you've been taught. The Thessalonian Christians were charged to persevere. Now we're getting back to their situation at hand. They were charged to persevere with what they had been taught from two sources, from preaching or what they've been written. There's not much different today. And this verse would have no doubt resonated much more with the Thessalonians because they were facing severe persecution. Now, this isn't the, the, uh, the, severe, the persecution of the second and third century. This is still first century. Um, Nero is probably near the throne or about to be on the, as emperor there of Rome. But they're not getting persecution from Roman soldiers. They're getting persecution from their fellow countrymen. Go back to, well, I'll read it to you. First Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. For ye, brethren, 
became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So what Paul is saying here, just like the, the Jewish churches, the now Christian churches, the churches back in Jerusalem, they're suffering persecution from the Jews, and the Thessalonians are suffering, suffering persecution from the Gentiles, from those who do not know Christ. Now, the Thessalonian churches were certainly in the same faith and in Christ, like the churches in Judea. But the following that Paul talks about there in 1 Thessalonians is not just the following in the faith, but the following in persecution. They were persecuted, and now you are being persecuted. So, in context, and back in 2 Thessalonians, God is charging them to stand fast. To stand fast, to hold to the traditions which ye have been taught despite those persecutions. And while we as a church are certainly not suffering through Thessalonian-style persecutions, not yet anyway, we are charged by God to hold the line. We are charged by God to stand fast, to live out the gospel, to hold to the ordinances we have been taught by word, by preaching, or by epistle. And we are not only bound to be thankful, I believe we're bound by the Spirit, compelled even, to be obedient. You and I have been charged to the Thessalonian Christians and to believers today, God has chosen us, called us, and charged us. You know, I'm about as tired as these restrictions that we, we live with here in Germany and around the world. But if you think about all those restrictions, if that was all the Christians dealt with in the first century, Acts would have been a much different book. It would have been a much different book. Now, I'm not saying that all those things, that freedom is not important. I believe in freedom. And I'm not even saying that some governments may or may not have stepped across over the lines. But our hope is not in any of those things. We are charged to stand fast no matter what comes next. Whether by word or epistle, we are charged to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as we read through this text, some of us may be tempted to reply with, well, I don't know what's taught in the Bible, so how, how, can I be, uh, how can I be held responsible for what I don't know as a Christian? Well, first, we have been charged to read the Bible, study to show thyself approved in 2 Timothy 2.15. But notice exactly verse 15 again. Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, which ye have been taught. Now, I'm not trying to be mean here, and this may sound simplistic or an easy out for some, but if we can just get believers, if I can just be a believer who is obedient to what I've been taught, just what I know. If all the Christians, this is just me, I'm going to stand over here because it's not in the Bible, but if all the Christians in every community were obedient to just what they knew as Christians, I don't think the church buildings could hold the number of Christians in the churches. I don't think... Uh, I don't think the communities will be in the situations that they are in. I think the world will be turned upside down by missionaries that are obedient just to what they know in the Lord. And not so much worry about what they don't know, but just to be obedient to what they do know. And I realize as I, as I preach up here, and maybe you've been to other churches, you know, and you have pastors that preach on obedience. Nobody likes that word obedience. And it usually comes across as, as, as a negative sermon. It's not my intention at all. My intention is to encourage you. And personally speaking, I am not a negative person. You can truly ask my wife, ask my children sometimes. <laughs> 
But I'm not a negative person. I am, I'm not a fan of yelling to get a point across, even when I was in the military, and certainly not as a pastor. Now, I'm passionate about some things, and that might come across as being loud, but I prefer grace-filled leadership over guilt-based leadership. And even though I didn't always get that right, especially as a father, but I've learned that grace goes a whole lot farther than guilt. It goes a whole lot farther than guilt. However, there is a however. <laughs> truth is truth. And regardless of how the truth is delivered, truth is truth. So there are some things we should do. James 4.17 says, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To him that knoweth to do good, and to doeth it not, to him it is sin. So the Thessalonian Christians, they were taught some things. And God simply charged them to be obedient to what they knew, than what they've been taught. And the same is true for us today. We must be obedient to what we've been taught. So as straightforward as I think I can be this morning, a question. What has God charged you to do? What has God taught you? What have we been taught? What have I been taught that I've not been obedient to? Is it possible that God wants more from you according to what you've been taught? I think it's always possible. Is it possible that he has charged you to do just a little bit more in certain areas of your life? To maybe pray a little more, to study his word a little more. Has he charged you to be a little bit more outgoing with the gospel, to be sold out more? Has he charged you to be a better steward of your time and your talents and your treasures? And honestly, as I was putting this together, he's charged me to be a better steward of all these things. God wants more from us than we will ever recognize on this side of heaven. What has God charged you to do? What are we not doing that we know we should be doing? That's a, that's a tough question. I understand that. And I'm guilty. I've, you know, I delayed many times in my own life of doing what I knew God wanted me to do. I've shared with some of y'all how God led me to Germany. And uh, we were talking about this the other day um, with a friend of mine. But back in Tennessee, my pastor, I, there I was sitting in the, uh, in the row maybe. Maybe where are you at? And uh, I was sitting there. My pastor there was preaching on being called to the mission field, to being, to being completely surrendered to God. And as he preached, he asked a similar question. Has God charged you to go to the mission field? But he said, has God called you? Now, I was still in the army at that time. And uh, I was on my last year in the army. And I was serving there as the assistant pastor. And about the, about the time the pastor asked that question, has God called you? He points to me and says, that question is for everybody except you. Because I was his assistant. He didn't want me to leave. He's like, everybody can leave except you. But it was at that very moment that God said, this whole sermon is for you. You have to leave. This whole thing is for you. God didn't call anybody else in the auditorium that day, but he, he talked to me. He charged me. He says, stop messing around and do what I've told you to do. Do what I've told you to do. Two years later, I was here. And I'm, I got to tell you, I'm nobody special. But when God chose me for the ministry, when he called me into the ministry, it was naturally followed by a charge to work in the ministry. And God has called every Christian. He's chosen every Christian. He's called them. And there is a charge to live in the gospel. Has God chosen you to salvation? If he has, has he called you by the gospel? If you've if responded, he has also charged you to live worthy of that gospel.
He has charged you to read and study His Word and to obey what you have been taught by His Word. Don't worry about the other things. I did that many years. I'm like, well, what about this and what about that? Well, let's work with what I do know. And then I started to follow. And the light that God gave me, it was more light. And then a little more light. But I had to walk in the light that He gave me. Yes, following God and and being charged and being obedient to what those things are that God leads us to follow. It begins with the basics of Christian obedience, but it never stops. God just 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 doesn't want to save us. He wants to use us. He wants you to be a part of his family. God has charged each of us to die daily and to be obedient to what we've been taught. What has God taught you today? What has God taught you recently That you may or may not be obeying. Remember, he is worthy. And our charge may not always be easy. It's rarely easy. It was not easy for the Thessalonian church to stand fast and hold to the traditions which they have been taught. That's why Paul wrote to them. To encourage them. Stick with it. Stay with the cord. Don't, don't doubt in the night what God gave you in the light. Stay, stay with it. And regardless of the opposition... That they faced, and regardless of the opposition that we face, stay the course. We've been charged. We've been charged. But it doesn't stop there, does it? And this chapter doesn't end there. Praise the Lord. Look at, look at all these verses again together. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts. Establish you in every good word and work. We have been chosen. We have been called. We've been charged. And this is a wonderful thing. We've been comforted. We can find comfort in God. You know, He is real. He is real. We have comfort in this verse from Jesus Himself. Not, he didn't send an angel to us. He didn't send a preacher. Sometimes he uses people like that and families. And but he says, I'm coming. I will comfort you. Jesus Christ himself and even God the Father. Not to mention the Holy Spirit, who is also our great comforter. What a promise we have from Scripture. I fear many genuine Christians. I was one of them at one time. We have no idea what it means to be comforted by God. But he is, again, real he is, he is as real as the person next to you, even if you're not sitting next to somebody. He's real. He's real. He is more than a resource, no doubt about that, as in something we lean on from time to time. But he is willing to be a resource. He is willing to give us grace beyond measure, even for everyday living. All we must do is ask. Ask and believe. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that he may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. In time of need. In time of need. And even in this verse, in 2 Thessalonians, God states that, or Paul writes that God has given us everlasting consolation. Everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Grace. 
the best motivator man could ever have, the grace of God. He has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace in every good word and work. Friends, we have much to be thankful for. As Christians, again, we've been chosen, called, charged, and comforted by God. He didn't have to do that, but He does. He comforts us. How can we, how can you, how can I not be compelled to give thanks to God? We are. In fact, as the Bible says here, we are bound to give thanks always to God. Let us pray.